So this last Tuesday, I voted in honor of our veterans, all of our veterans, from George Washington and those who fought to free our nation, to those in the church service today and in our community who've continued to serve in our nation's military over all these years. Over the course of the year, we developed this program, Vote in Honor of a Veteran, and I've worn these two buttons at different times to honor specific veterans. One, my father, Al Ritchie, who was a Marine in the Second World War in the Pacific Theater. The other, Walter Gashat, Nancy's father, who was in the Army, in the First Army, who served in North Africa, fought in Italy, and was Omaha Beach on the first day of, of the invasion of Europe that eventually liberated Europe. Our parents' commitment to fighting and that struggle against fascism was just only one part of a much larger story about how the veterans and others who've served our nation have helped create and be part of the whole development of this country, of our culture, and of our future. And today it's a special opportunity for me because it's this Sunday before Veterans Day, that day that was devoted to the idea, to the hope, to the dream of peaceful relations. And we have an opportunity to pause and reflect. And in that pausing and reflecting, we have a chance to hear a much larger story about our nation, our community, and our church. In fact, one of the real gifts of this year's sesquicentennial committee in our church, and I I have to confess, I was active in the beginning, but I, I've been a little tied up lately. But I did get the benefit of this incredible research that people have been doing about our church's history. And one part of it is the amazing and very important ways that our church, throughout our history, has been critical in honoring the contribution of veterans, starting with the Civil War and all the way uh, through that struggle to end slavery, all the way up. Our church has been very active. And it's been part of who we've been as a people for this near 150 years. Our church also, of course, has been um, uh, always engaged in the great debates about peace and war, about nonviolence and about just war, about the contradictions between confronting the reality of armed struggle, of, of invasion, and also the desire for peaceful relations among nations. In fact, it's still a very vibrant debate in our church and, and around the world. Paul, Reverend Paul Razor, who spoke here just a couple weeks ago, had a fabulous piece in the UU World last spring uh, called Towards a UU Theology of War and Peace. And so we know that debate and discussion goes on and on, and, we'll, and it will always be with us, I'm sure. But in that uh, history, one of the things that's clear is that we occasionally need uh, oomph for a little push or some way to nudge ourselves to remember to remember our uh, history in this church and to remember the contribution of so many people and that 's also been true um, as it uh, as it applies to remembering our veterans and their contribution. One of the things that I discovered um, in the course of this sesquicentennial was this fantastic book that Mary Young did on the occasion of the hundredth birthday of our Association of Universalist Women's group in this church. And if you haven't stopped to look at this book, it is the one really complete history of amazing things, amazing people, amazing gifts that this church has given to the broader community and world. So I highly recommend this. But one of the things that's in it is a little story about a visit to our church by perhaps the most famous Universalist veteran, 
Back in 1906, the Grand Army of the Republic held its annual national encampment here in Minneapolis. Now, the Grand Army of the Republic was created right after the Civil War by Civil War veterans who feared that such a terrible war that tore our country apart and separated brothers from brothers and families and all of that would be something that people would set aside and they wouldn't want to think about and they would soon forget the contribution of the veterans and the families and all who sacrificed to save the Union, to end slavery, to re reignite the hope of democracy as President Lincoln so eloquently described it. And so they created this organization, Grand Army of the Republic, and they had chapters everywhere, literally everywhere in the country, who were organizing to remind people and to keep alive the understanding of the contribution that people made. And it was out of that organization that things like Memorial Day were born and many other things. But one of the founders of the Grand Army of the Republic uh, was our very own Clara Barton who was uh, one of the most important uh, universalists who had been part of that whole movement at that time. And Clara Barton had been very, very dedicated to making sure that the contribution of those veterans in the, in the Civil War were not forgotten. And she was here for the National Encampment in 1906. And she came to our church. And um, there's a wonderful little note and little story about that in that great book. But what we don't know is um, what Claire Barton had to say. And I, I'm really sorry I couldn't have been there in 1906. But I, I imagined her um, saying something like this. Um, uh, good morning, fellow universalists. I'm so grateful that Reverend Shutter has invited me here to your beautiful church, First Universalist Church of the Redeemer, downtown Minneapolis, and that I was able to break away from our proceedings at the National Encampment to come and give you my greetings. I see in the audience here this morning that there are still some veterans of the Civil War alive, and you're looking quite well today. And I'm pleased to know that your church and many others have not forgotten the sacrifice and the contributions of those many who fought and died in that terrible war. I also came because I wanted to especially thank you and really give thanks to our entire denomination for your support in my long effort, now successful, to create an international Red Cross and to create an American Red Cross so that we could address the humanitarian crisis that is created by war and other disasters human and man-made. I really appreciate your efforts. I know under the leadership of Reverend Shutter and your great um, community of people here that you will never forget. But we formed the Grand Army of the Republic because we fear that our nation may forget. And any ways that you can lift up your voice and remind people of the great contribution of our veterans in saving the Union and defeating slavery and the great need to address the humanitarian disaster that war is, I will so appreciate this. And as long as I live, I will be by your side. I must run back to my busy work at the Grand Army, but thank you again for this opportunity. And thank you to the Universalist denomination and to our whole community for all that you've done for peace and for addressing the crisis and issues created by war. And Clara Barton's message was one that was strong and clear in our church. And Reverend Shutter, who some of you might know, was our minister for nearly 50 years, 48 years as a senior pastor. And um, Reverend Shutter shared Clara Barton's concern that we would forget, that we would not remember the contributions. And um, he took to a 
he took to a path of using any good occasion to sort of raise this up in the congregation. And um, Chris Brimmer has taken up the task of buying on eBay Reverend Shudder's sermons. And, uh, I mean, this is, a, this is a gift. And so there are many. Uh, and he usually picked the Sunday around July 4th to really hammer home the message. And this particular one, uh, July 6, 1919, so the year after First World War, And um, he was quite alarmed, and let me uh, share with you just how he opened this sermon. And his alarm, I think, expressed that same fear of Clara Barton, that people would forget, that we would lose our history, we would not know where we came from, and we would lose our way on where we're going. This one is called, The Work of Our Fathers, Is It Worth Preserving?, And he opens it this way. This anniversary of independence finds us fallen upon times in which the work of the fathers of the republic is strangely discredited. The character of the signers of the Declaration of Independence is assailed. The war to make good that declaration is stigmatized as a venture in commercialism. The soldiers of Washington at Valley Forge, our original veterans, are compared to Mexican bandits, and the Constitution is denounced as an attempt of aristocrats to enslave the masses. So Reverend Shudder used his sermons, depending on the time of the year and the circumstance, to help bring back and to bring forth an understanding of the basic history and some of the underlying principles, and to affirm in our universalist way that original notion of liberty and justice for all. And his sermons are quite inspiring as a reminder of that mission, but they also are a kind of light that shines on this ongoing worry that Claire Barton had, that Reverend Shudder had, um, and that, frankly, many others have shared over the years that we may be a nation that too quickly forgets. In preparing this morning's sermon, I had the opportunity to speak with many of the veterans in our congregation, people in active duty military, family members, and some who were close friends of veterans. And uh, it was such a gift that people gave me, sharing their stories and sharing their emotions. Uh, I was asking people where they served and when. I was asking people how their military service affected their spiritual path. I was asking people how they felt the church's contribution uh, to helping them sort and put all those pieces together. For some of you, our conversations got interrupted this week, and I apologize. It got a little crazy. And for some of you who took time, thank you so much. And for those of you who I didn't get a chance to speak with, it's something I'm going to do. But in those conversations, there were so many things that I learned and gifts that I received in terms of insight. Um, Someone spoke to me about how military service was a way of really beginning to have a completely new understanding of creation. Some of you talked about the things that happened that helped open you up to the possibility of being dependent on and being part of a larger community, a team. But something that was common in most of the conversation I had uh, brought me back to that sermon of Reverend Keith Crone a few months ago. Remember when Keith spoke about, Reverend Crone spoke about um, what happens when you can't be all of yourself or when you can't tell all of your story or when the people around you don't know all of who you are. There's a certain loss 
a certain wounding at times, but a certain um, lack of being able to be wholly fulfilled that many of our veterans did not feel like in all parts of their lives were they able to really be that part person with all of those pieces together. And so we talked, um, you know, in some of our conversations I talked a lot about that wisdom of, of, uh, of the ages, of being able to tell stories as a way of ending uh, separation and loneliness, and that telling the stories out loud uh, would be something that our church could be doing because so many of us love history, and there are all kinds of possibilities with the History Center. But, of course, a very important exception is our own Frank Blake, who put it down on paper, and he told me this fabulous story, which was that, in you know, uh, you know, after the end of the Second World War, he signed a sheet of paper that says, I will not tell anybody about my experience in Army intelligence in North Africa for 50 years. And 50 years later, he was sitting kind of bored in a polling place as an election worker, and, uh, and he thought, well, maybe I better get started writing down what I can remember while I can still remember. And for those of you who've seen Frank's book, and he just told me it's now sold out, so if you own some, you might check eBay price, and he's going to print more. But Frank wrote and expressed those stories for all of us. And it's a gift of example that we could be pursuing. We have videos and all kinds of things nowadays. But capturing and telling the stories then allows a person to be more of who they are, to share more who they are, to heal in that way and be part of a broader community. And it's something that I really want our church to be able to find a way to do. So these occasions, Shutter used July 4th and Veterans Day, are an opportunity to really think about and to be conscious and to be aware of the opportunities to thank, to acknowledge, and to honor those in our community who've honored us through their service in the active duty military. Between the time of the end of the Vietnam War and, and you know, a few decades ago, I didn't think a lot about veterans and that whole world. My father and I would occasionally talk about his service, but mostly uh, he was really, really affected by the famine he saw in China. His service took him to the Philippines and then to China, and um, seeing people die from hunger led him to a path to pursue in his life uh, addressing world hunger, and I kind of picked up the bug myself, I guess. Um, but we didn't talk a lot about the war or his service um, beyond that. And um, my, one of my very best friends has served as a nurse and then later as an administrator in the veterans' hospital system. And so, of course, over the years, we've talked a lot about some of the effects um, that uh, military services had on some of our neighbors and friends and citizens, physical effects and psychological effects, and the difficulty of getting proper care inside the system and the struggles of the people there, those dedicated people who work in the veteran system, to try to find a way to make sure that people get the care they need to be whole again. People get the care they need to heal. People get the care they need and deserve because they gave so much to the rest of us. But it wasn't until Nancy and I began to visit um, museums and beaches in Normandy that I began to think about this with a lot more care and a lot more sensitivity. Walking on the beaches where her dad fought and so many fought and died. Walking through that cemetery that was made so famous in the opening uh, scenes of Saving Private Ryan, that giant uh, cemetery of American soldiers there in Normandy, 
is such a moving experience. And for those of you who've done it, you know you just can't stop there. You have to know more. You have to understand what it was that gave people the strength, what it was that said, yes, this threat of fascism, this threat of aggression, this has to be responded to. And uh, the whole process of uh, changing lives in a way to create that massive military force and that massive war that we saw, what is that, what is that all about? And so for me, it's been a journey and a quest of understanding, of trying to be more clear uh, about my own thoughts and feelings about this, about my religious community's thoughts and feeling about my family and friends. And in that process... Um, a good friend of mine from high school invited me and had got me active in, a, in an organization called Association for U.S. Army, which is kind of a nonprofit that works a lot on supporting soldiers and their families who are going back and forth. But in that whole process, it's been a kind of digging deeper, a kind of a, a spiritual path for me of a certain kind to try to understand all the contradictions that I might feel inside of me, that we might feel inside of a contradiction, squaring that sense of service that I feel very dramatically in my life and that I imagine most of you feel as well with the notion of a service that is at its highest level, the potential and for many the actuality of giving your life for liberty, for freedom, for democracy, for this nation. The founders of this nation some of them with very Unitarian leanings like Jefferson and Adams, were very good at articulating on paper their brilliant ideas about freedom, talking about liberty and justice for all, their ideas about democracy, elections, and the rule of law. But it was George Washington who eventually left that little group about a year before they got to the Declaration of Independence and went off and began to build the army that would be necessary to wage the war, to have the possibility of creating a nation dedicated to liberty and justice for all, a nation that ran through the election of our leaders and and ran with a commitment to the rule of law. And that contribution is one that, you know, we know about and we recognize somewhat, but it's, it's not something that we lift up very often. But George Washington did something else, and he was, um, you know, kind of a, uh, a special person in this way. Uh, he also recognized that uh, creating a republic, creating a democracy was one thing, keeping it was another, and that in the moment when so many people were urging him to just be president for life and some people wanted to call him king and all of that, he said, no, this nation is built on the idea of a peaceful transition of power through elections, and after two terms, I'm going home. And it was such a shock to the world. There is the famous story of King George saying, well, if this is actually true, that George Washington gave up power voluntarily then that makes him the greatest man in the world. But that contribution of our veterans in the creation of this democracy and in the preservation of the ideas through the notion of peaceful transfer of power are things that we are the beneficiaries of in this nation today and this past week has been one of the most special moments of a very, very dramatic transition and transfer of power and actually the change of the direction of the nation that's come about because we have the right 
to vote and change our leadership because we believe in and we're committed to the idea of a peaceful transition of power and because we have the opportunity to live within this democracy. But it's a fragile gift. It's a very, very precious gift. And it's one that we cannot take for granted. And those Vietnam veterans and World War II veterans and Korean veterans and um, Gulf, Gulf War and Iraq War veterans that I spoke with, somewhere in all the conversations, there was some acknowledgement that this is a precious thing and it's a very, very fragile thing. And so you know that I've um, been a little obsessed with voter turnout. You know, that's kind of been... Um, and, um, and it's gotten more obsessive the more I've talked to our veterans and been part of the broader veterans community. And, um, and so, um, you know, one of the things that I... I uh, I like to rib my neighbors, you and my other neighbors, about is, in fact, we are the lowest voting part of the state down here in the cities. We have a certain self-image. We're the most political, the most informed, and so on and so forth, but we are the lowest voting. Now, as a state, we're the highest in the nation. There's a lot of good things, but as a practical matter, most other parts of the state vote a lot more than us, and I'm always curious why. So I was... um, Occasionally had the nerve to ask some people this question, and I was up at Red Lake Indian Reservation um, a while back. And uh, Red Lake is a very unusual place because it's so isolated, way up on the Canadian border, and it's uh, also they vote very high, very high percent, 90 percent or more. And I'm in a public meeting like this, and there's a couple hundred people from Red Lake, and I, you know, I'm up in front, and I have the microphone, and I say, "Hey, why is it that you vote in the 90 percent? You know, that's pretty unusual." And it was dead silent. And I thought, oh, no, I stepped into something. You know, like an hour, nobody said anything, or, or five seconds, or I don't know. But a young woman in the back stood up, and she said to me, when I drove in tonight, I drove past the big Veterans of Foreign War hall, great big VFW hall, with the names of all the braves who had given their lives for this country. And she said, we love this place. We love this nation. We are very patriotic, and we vote. And she sat down, and the whole room nodded in unison. And that was it. And I took this into my heart, and, you know, I was trying to, you know, process it and make some sense about it. And a period after it, I'm down in Hermantown. So, you know, Hermantown is right by Duluth. Duluth votes in the 90% range. I mean, that is off the chart in the nation. Nobody, no city votes like Duluth. And so I'm talking to the head of the Chamber of Commerce in Hermantown. And I'm just making conversation at lunch. And I say, hey, how come you guys vote in the 90%? He goes, boom, we're patriotic and we take care of the things we love. Just like that. And there was that word again, patriotic, from the head of the Chamber of Commerce, using the same word as the young woman on the Indian Reservation. And they both had the same message, which is that the things you love, you take the responsibility of taking care of them. And from their point of view, one part of that patriotism, that taking care of the thing that they love, their community, their, their, their uh, tribal lands, their nation, was to vote. And I brought that back, and I began working with my staff to think about ways that we could tap into that culture of Minnesota that says the things we love, we take care of. And we are patriotic because we love this place. And that being patriotic then demands 
that we vote and we be part of this process. And so we developed this vote in honor of a veterans program, and, and we began this whole process of putting together things that could help people connect their desire to honor a family member or friend with their own commitment and service, their own participation in the democracy. And so today we have a special chance to stop, to think, to remember, to honor, to thank. But we also have a chance to dedicate ourselves to doing more each day and going forward because we don't want things to be just like, oh, there's the Sunday sermon on this. And so one thing that I've done is put together a little flyer that's out back um, with some things that you might consider doing as a way of honoring our veterans going forward in the next year. But let me just say about three of those things quickly, and, and you can take those if you'd like. One of them is that whenever you have the chance to thank a veteran or an active duty serviceman or woman, please thank them for their service to our country, to our democracy. The second thing is that you will occasionally see information and perhaps we'll get some more information circulating of special events which are an opportunity to recognize or to honor our veterans and our active duty servicemen and women. And one very special one that I always promote that um, I just I can't say enough about how wonderful it is is the Memorial Day ceremony down at, uh, down at our cemetery. Um, at Lakewood, where uh, so many of our church founders also helped create that. On Memorial Day, there is one of the most moving and powerful Memorial Day services you'll ever see, and they do tours of that place and give you history. So history buffs, whatever, that's an amazing thing. June 13th of next year will be a very special Welcome home to Vietnam veterans uh, at the state capitol, a very big event, and that'll be an important thing. The final thing is that um, this has been a political season, and in this political season, occasionally the whole notion of service, especially public service, um, has been attacked by some who think there's some benefit to attacking those who served. We've heard attacks on teachers. We've heard attacks on community organizers. We've heard attacks on public employees. We've heard attacks on the men and women who served in our military. Whenever you hear somebody denigrating or in some way trying to attack public service and attack the idea of protecting and promoting the common good, attacking the idea that we have responsibilities to each other and that we take those responsibilities seriously, speaking up will be an important part of not letting our country go backwards and allowing those who would denigrate service to again achieve the kind of power and authority that they have had over the past period. Today is also a chance for us to very specifically thank our veterans who are in the room, who are part of our community, who are part of our lives. And I want to ask everyone in the room who's a veteran or active duty or a family member to please rise and stay standing, please, and let's all thank those veterans directly for their service to our nation, to our community, to our democracy. Thank you so much. But please stay standing.
I would like everyone who serves our communities in public service, our teachers, our firefighters, our librarians, all of you who serve the public every day, please rise and let's thank you for your service. And please, everyone who worked this week to make the democracy go, you election judges and those of you who knocked on doors, please rise and thank everyone who made our democracy go. And everyone who voted this week or any time in your life where you've put the fire in this democracy, stand up. Thank each other. Never stop thanking each other. Never stop thanking our veterans. Never stop thanking the people who serve us. It's the only way we can keep this democracy. I want to end with words that are not mine. Some of you know that our veterans, Vote in Honor of Veterans program has a special website. And on that website, people have been putting down tributes. There's a beautiful one to Lynn Elling. And one of those tributes was brought to my attention, and it has sustained me over this past month, and it has sustained me this week. Been kind of a week. And I want to close with this remembrance. In honor of Private First Class Jerry Ray Beebe Army, who served in Vietnam. And it was, his hometown was Brainerd, and this was from Glow Mills. Dear little brother, I miss you and wish you could be here to see, the, does, the, to see that the dream of freedom you so willingly gave your life for really does live on. Do you remember how we weren't even allowed to talk to black kids in our neighborhood when we lived in Alabama in 1950? Well, Tuesday, I will cast my vote for our first black president. I will do it proudly and in your honor. I love you, Chair. Thank you.